Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 30. It's on page 68 of the Church Bibles. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house, houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and anyone on the seventh day, and, uh, sorry, another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, with, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Where you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the, the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Phil, very much indeed. Uh, good morning, everybody. It is uh, lovely to be here with you at Emmanuel this morning. I bring greetings from Christchurch, and we are very thankful for uh, Bart being there as the preacher this morning. I think they got the better deal uh, at Christchurch, but it's uh, a joy to be here, and thank you for uh, putting up with Bart being away and uh, me here for today. Uh, praise God that it's, uh, God's word uh, uh, is far more important than the preacher, uh, although God does give uh, uh, preachers to his church. But let's pray. Let's pray that we would hear uh, God's word uh, to us this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, your word that's in our hands and your spirit that is in our hearts. And we pray that he might illumine our minds to see uh, your wonderful truth in the word of God. We pray that uh, you would help us to see Jesus uh, more clearly uh, today, that we would be able to trust him uh, with our whole heart. So speak into our minds and hearts today, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Do uh, keep your Bibles open there at page 68. Um, I don't know what your memory is, is like. That's not a painful question. Um, names, faces. I, I was at uh, Christchurch Christmas Fair uh, yesterday, walking around and seeing people who I could have recognised and sort of racking my brain to, to, to think of their names. Fortunately, I had my wife. She was quite, she's better than me, so uh, she was able to tell me so I could go over and say, oh, hello, John, hello, Jane, you know, and, and sort of pretend I could remember. Um, so, but, but I can't really. My memory for names is, is struggling. So if I don't remember yours, please apologise. It's not personal. Uh, it's just... Uh, what's going on. But there's, there's important things we, we remember, isn't there? There are important things that we need to remember. I've learned that from experience. Um, my wife's birthday, uh, that's pretty significant. Uh, our wedding anniversary, that's, that's important. So I, I put those in the diary, you know, partly for the sake of personal safety, uh, <laughs> but mostly because they are wonderful things to celebrate. To remember and to celebrate my, my, my wife's life and her, her birth and her birthday, uh, our marriage that we are so thankful to God for. Uh, uh, we put them in the diary, we remember them partly to, to give thanks to God and, and partly so we, we don't grow complacent. We don't just take these things for granted. We don't just take life for granted or, or marriage for granted. You know, regular remembering is important uh, and, and that's true, of course, on a spiritual level. Because God knows that we have spiritual amnesia. We quickly forget the most important things in the midst of our, our lives. And so to help his people, God established regular festivals and ceremonies 
uh, throughout the Old Testament and to the New, so that we don't forget the ways that he has blessed his people. And in our passage today, we get the festival of Passover, or unleavened bread is being established. And it was established in order to remember the, the greatest night in Jewish history. Perhaps the greatest event, probably it was the greatest event in the whole of the Old Testament, uh, that event of the Passover and the Exodus. So, uh, look down at verse 14, uh, chapter 12. This is a day, uh, Moses says, you are to commemorate for the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. If we read on, if you flick over the page to verse 42, uh, Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for the generations to come. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, uh, this Passover festival. And that's exactly what they did, of course. Generation after generation after generation. Every year they, they remembered and celebrated this great event as they gathered around a meal table. Uh, And so it was uh, 1,500 years after Moses uh, that a group of 13 men in Jerusalem uh, sat down in an upstairs room to celebrate the the Passover meal, this lasting ordinance. And as they sat together at the end of the meal, of course, the Lord Jesus, looking around at his disciples, took bread and, and broke it and He said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood of the the new covenant which is shed for you. He was speaking, of course, as he did that, about the day's events the following day, uh, his death on the cross. Uh, And he said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He he gave a, a lasting ordinance. And so for generation after generation after generation... Every week or every month or every year, uh, Jesus' followers have kept that lasting ordinance. They've remembered, they've celebrated the saving work of the cross with bread and wine. And some 2,000 years later, since uh, that last supper, and three and a half thousand years later, since that first Passover uh, meal, uh, we're going to be doing that this morning in solidarity with God's people uh, across history and across the world as we gather uh, around the Lord's table. Uh, with bread and wine. See, God wants us to know and to remember and to never forget his amazing saving grace. As we break bread and drink wine, we're going to remember what Christ has done for us. And of course, it was no coincidence that Jesus uh, did this on the night of the Passover because what he was doing on the cross was fulfilling what is shadowed by this great exodus, this great Passover and exodus that we read of in Exodus chapter 12 and and on. And so we get a a deeper, richer understanding of the cross as we we get into Exodus 12. And God says to, God wants these things to shape us so that we don't get complacent, so that we remember and are full of thankfulness and wonder and joy of the God uh, and who he is and what he's done. And so uh, we're going to look at two things from this uh, Exodus 12 and from what we see in, in the Passover. Uh, I think there are two things he wants us never to forget, to remember and uh, to celebrate. And these two things are uh, the holiness of God and the uh, horror of judgment. 
And then the, uh, the mercy of God and the way of salvation. These are the two things we're going to uh, look at and think about this morning. The holiness of God and that horror of judgment. And then the mercy of God and the way of salvation. We see this clearly here in Exodus chapter 12. So uh, uh, let's think first about this uh, holiness of God, of this horror of judgment, which comes so clearly through and has been. I remember seeing once um, uh, uh, some, uh, a sort of poster on a wall that's outside a church that said, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And uh, someone had sort of scrawled underneath, uh, yeah, but what's the question? Jesus is the answer, but yes, but what's the question? And of course, what they were making clear is that unless you know what the question is, unless you know what the problem is, uh, Jesus doesn't really mean anything. Uh, unless you understand the, the problem of what we're, we're being faced, that Jesus is the solution to, uh, we can never truly understand uh, uh, the depths of God's love for us, the, the reality of his incredible mercy. If we think of Jesus just as a kind of life enhancer, someone who's just going to add a bit into your life, into your uh, um, normal uh, you know, day-to-day life, we'll never fully grasp why we need him. We'll never fully grasp uh, how vital he is to our lives and to our world. Uh, and when life gets harder, if we just think of Jesus as some sort of life enhancer, when, when life goes a bit pear-shaped, when life gets harder, when, then we're likely to jettison Jesus or uh, wonder why we ever believed in the first place. Uh, we need to understand our, our greatest need if we're going to understand Jesus. And, and the people of Israel were no doubt, in no doubt as to their greatest need. The great problem they faced, God had spelt it out to Moses, verse 12 of chapter 12, on that same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. It's very clear, isn't it, that God's just judgment is coming to Egypt. In fact, of course, it has already been coming. I I listened to uh, Bart's excellent and sobering sermon from a couple of weeks ago uh, on the plagues, those nine acts of judgment against the false gods of Egypt, against Pharaoh and his hardened heart, uh, against his arrogance and cruel enslaving of God's people. Uh, God is sending his judgments to show how powerful he is, that he he, he is in, in control, and to show his holiness that he won't tolerate uh, rebellion and judgment. Uh, Each time the judgment had fallen, of course, only on the Egyptians. And now this tenth plague, this final plague, this worst of all plagues, the plague on the firstborn, is different because everyone is in the firing line, including God's own people. This is judgment on all humanity. Every family will face God's holy judgment for their sin. Regardless of race or religion or class or outward respectability, judgment is coming across all of Egypt. And so that night of the Passover, in the darkness, God's judgment falls. And there's carnage, there's weeping, there's wailing. It's utterly tragic. It's where our reading ended. So Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians, verse 30, got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. 
this is meant to be sobering. We need to grasp the holiness of God and the horror of judgment. There is wailing across Egypt. There is death in every household. See, God in his holiness is, is too perfect, too pure, too beautiful to exist with the ugliness and depravity and rebellion of human sin. Just as in our hearts, we long for justice, don't we, when we see evil, when we see atrocities committed, we cry out, that that's not right. We want justice. We want a, a, a perpetrator to be brought to justice. It's, it's in our own hearts, because we're made in God's image. We, we reflect a very pale a reflection of the perfect justice and purity and, uh, uh, and holiness of God. We long for that justice, and uh, every sin must be met with justice and punishment. To face the righteous anger of God is a terrible thing. And here in Exodus 12, we just get a glimpse of it with the death of the firstborn. None of us human beings have ever grasped the horror, the real horror of sin or the real horror of of judgment. Uh, Of course, Jesus did. He grasped the horror of sin because he and, and judgment he knew the holiness of god that's why he often warned against it in his teaching he warned about the, the wrath to come of the uh, of the in, in his various parables that's why in the garden of gethsemane jesus sweated droplets of blood in in anguish at the thought of the cross it wasn't the so much the physical pain that he was worried about it was the very wrath of God, the justice and judgment of God that would fall on him. It's why he was in such anguish and agony in the garden. Of course, when he hung on the cross and the sky turned black in the, in the middle of the day, just like the night of Passover, judgment was falling. The angel of death was coming over the land and the agony of the cross was where that judgment was falling on Jesus. It wasn't so much the physical pain or the suffocation or the, uh, the, the emotional pain of being abandoned by the disciples and friends. It was just that spiritual pain that Jesus feared in the Garden of Gethsemane and then carried uh, in himself on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first time Jesus didn't call his father, Father. He said, God, uh, he was coming under the, the wrath of God, forsaken, and separated. You know, for three hours, the worst horrors you can imagine, the most terrible evils we witness, the unspeakable atrocities, along with all the everyday anger and greed and, and self-centeredness, all the sin and the eternal judgment of God falling on Jesus there on the cross. When I was a, a boy, I guess we, we probably all did it, maybe some more than others do used to love going out on a summer's day, magnifying glass, uh, heat of the sun's rays, you know, burn holes in pieces of wood, burn bits of grass that my dad wasn't very impressed with. Uh, uh, you'd, you'd take the magnifying glass and the, the hot rays of the sun would be magnified down through the magnifying glass into a specific little point and it would burn. And of course that's what's going on at the cross. Uh, the judgment of God for all the sins of, of, of all the world, of all people, uh, intense 
down onto to Jesus. The judgment which falls on Jesus is what we deserve as a human race for our rejection of our creator, for taking his world and treating it as we would want to use it ourselves. And this night of wailing in Egypt is a, it's a tiny little glimpse of judgment. There's wailing throughout the city, the, the nation. Death in every house. And of course we get glimpses of it in, in various acts of judgment through the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul says we're getting glimpses of it now in our own world. Glimpses of God's wrath that is being revealed against all godliness, ungodliness and wickedness. All the atrocities that we see are a sense, an aspect of God's judgment as he hands humanity over to our own perpetual self-destruction. Uh, we see glimpses of his judgment now. But, but of course, Jesus and the New Testament keep pointing us forward. They keep pointing us forward to the, the day of judgment, the day of God's wrath, when we'll see the holiness of God expressed in all its fullness in the horror of judgment and of hell. This is our greatest problem that we face. The greatest problem we need to grasp if we're ever going to understand the, our need. Our need for a saviour. Our need for God's mercy. We need to understand his holiness and his judgment. It's only now that Pharaoh and the people of Egypt fully are getting hold of this as they come under that judgment. Well, it's sobering, it's true, and we need to keep being reminded of it. God says, don't forget my holiness and the judgment. And yet, and yet, Though this was a universal judgment, it was going to fall on all. God, in his amazing grace, gives a way of escape. There wasn't wailing in every house across the nation of Egypt. Uh, not in those who heard and God's uh, salvation. Uh, judgment is announced through Moses. Uh, no one's exempt. It's impossible to escape. But God himself gives this way of escape. And that way is through a lamb. Uh, what do we learn about this lamb? Have a, have a look down. It's in those first few verses of uh, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, well, verses 3 and 4. Uh, there should be a lamb. Uh, each is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor having taken into account the number of people there are. This lamb should be proportionate. It should be appropriate for the size of the, the family, those who, um, uh, who, who need to, to have this lamb. It, it's an exact equivalent. It's measured out. Uh, the lamb is sufficient for each uh, person in the household. Uh, verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So it mustn't be any old lamb. 
can't just take sort of any old lamp from there. We'll have that one, the one that's sort of lame over in the corner that we were going to get rid of anyway. Uh, no, we've got to take a lamp that is perfect. Carefully selected, only perfection will do. And in verse 6, the lamb was to be uh, brought into the home. Uh, carefully um, looked after. Uh, the family identified uh, themselves with, uh, with that uh, lamb. So, so here's this perfect lamb, just right for, for you and your family, uh, brought into your home, cared for, uh, and then you're to, as it says, take it outside and, and kill it, all at the same moment. So everyone, on the same moment, twilight, on the day that God says that the lamb is slaughtered, the, the blood flows. As you know, all of Israel, 600,000 uh, men, 600,000 families, probably, uh, all taking their lamb out at twilight and slaughtering it. I mean, the blood flows in Goshen, in that part of Egypt. Now, I realise this is not a pleasant thought. Uh, the lamb being slaughtered, blood flowing everywhere. That's not pleasant, is it? Especially if you're used to getting lamb chops from Sainsbury's all in their nice packaging. Or if you're a vegan, it's even worse. So I apologise. Well, I don't apologise, because this is... Uh, but... Um, the blood is to be used, of course. Blood flows. Blood is to be used. Uh, verse 7. Uh, then they're to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And why? Well, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And that's exactly what's happened as we uh, read on the blood on the doorframe. It's a sign that a death has already taken place in that house. The death of an unblemished lamb. Blood has flowed. And when the angel of death comes over in judgment, he sees the, the blood and he passes over. And the firstborn child is saved. See, the, the sacrificed lamb is the, is the substitute. You know, the Passover lamb dies in the place of the sun. Uh, you can imagine what relief, what joy, what uh, freedom that God's people experienced that night. All the houses in Egypt, there was wailing, but not in the houses of those who put the blood on the door of the Lamb. There there was relief, I'm sure, and joy as they then set out uh, out of Egypt. Uh, Courses. 1,500 years later, Jesus comes into Galilee at the start of his ministry. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, here's the unblemished Lamb who's coming into Israel. Who comes into the world, who lives amongst the family. Uh, who's identified with the people. Perfect, unblemished. And then three years fully human, identifying with sinful humanity, living a perfect life, he then goes up to Jerusalem and he's brutally slaughtered at the time of Passover. Just like the symbolic lamb on the night of the Passover, lamb, uh, uh, except the, the blood of Jesus, of course, is truly sufficient for the sins of the world. Uh, his sacrifice uh, is truly effective for the 
sins of, of you and me. He takes the, the judgment of God on himself as he dies on the cross. He's our substitute. Let's quote Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The perfect substitute in Jesus. The Apostle Peter writes this. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. And then he carries on. He makes clear how Jesus is our substitute. Jesus himself uh, bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he continues. Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. The righteous, the unblemished one. Jesus uh, our perfect substitute dies for the unrighteous, for you and me. And the Apostle Paul spells it out when he says of Jesus, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. As the events of Exodus 12, uh, the cross of Christ, they speak wonderfully of the mercy of God and the way of salvation. And and I expect you're thinking, well, I, I know this. I've read my Bible, I've, I've seen this, and, and I think I just want to say this is a lasting ordinance. Jesus, God wants us to never forget the holiness of God and the, uh, and the, the horror of judgment, and yet the wonderful mercy of God and the way of salvation. And He wants to do it so that we will not be complacent, that we'll never forget and that we'll keep trusting him. Because you see, uh, the events of Exodus 12 uh, and the cross of Christ um, remind us that this is all of God's grace. It's completely uh, God's grace to, to provide a way to escape judgment. Uh, no one can do it for themselves. And, and, uh, and this way of salvation has to be appropriated. You know, it has to be taken away. It wasn't automatic. You know, in the first nine plagues, it was automatic. They, the, the, the Israelites had just not been affected by the judgments which fell on Egypt. Uh, but here, this way of salvation must be uh, appropriated. It's got to be responded to. You know, imagine Reuben there in, in, in Egypt. He's the oldest brother in the family. And he's heard what's going to happen. Judgment is going to come. Death is going to fall on the firstborn. I'm, on the, I'm the firstborn. I, I'm, I'm the one in the firing line. Imagine, he's there in the house. But he's also heard about God's gracious way of salvation. Uh, we can take this lamb into the house, and, and if the blood of the lamb gets sorted, and then we can put it on the house, and then, and then I'll be okay. God's judgment will pass over this house. You can imagine the, this boy, Reuben, he's, he's the firstborn, and, and so he's pleased when the lamb is brought into the house. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, unblemished lamb. And him and his siblings, they sort of look after this lamb and they get a bit attached to, the, to, to, to it. But, and so he's sad when it's taken out to be killed. But the sun is going down, it's twilight, the, the lamb is, is slaughtered. But he knows it's why it's happening. He's sad, but he, he knows why it's happening. And, 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 and he says to his dad, Dad, you are going to put the blood on the doorframe, aren't you? And his dad says, yes, son, I've, I've actually I've done it already. 
half an hour later, he says, Dad, you, ha you have done the blood, haven't you, on the, on the door frame? Yes, son, it's, it's there, just as God told us, I've, I've, I've done it. You know, Ruben knows what's coming, and now later, he says, Dad, are you, are, you, are you sure you've done it? Can I, can I just, I'm just going to go out and check that the blood is on the, on the door frame. He says, yes, the, son, the blood is on the door frame. And, and midnight comes, and the angel of death passes over, and Reuben's safe. But they had to put the blood on the door frame. In God's mercy, he gives us a way of salvation, but it has to be appropriated. Uh, the word trusted and obeyed, to have heard the word of God and to obey the word of God, to have simply found the unblemished lamb, that wouldn't have done it, would it? To have brought the lamb into the house, to have enjoyed his company, wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have done it. Even killing the lamb along with the others uh, at twilight uh, wouldn't have saved anyone in that house. You had to do all of those things and then take that blood and put it on the doorframe, the, the entry place of the home. That was God's appointed way of salvation. And so it is with Jesus. It's not just enough to, to know about Jesus. It's not enough just to be around church and to, to hang out with Christians. It's, it's not enough to understand the cross, to even have brilliant Reformed theology worked out. You know, every person needs to, to put the blood on the doorframe of our lives. We need to exercise faith to believe God's promise. We need to appropriate the way of salvation by coming to Jesus in repentance and faith, trusting in God's word and trusting in his promise and trusting in his blood that was shed for your sins, for mine. So the question is, have you, have you done that? Uh, there's nothing more important to do that. God is holy and just. His judgment is coming. You will one day face that judgment. The only safe place is to be sheltering under the blood of Jesus. Have you trusted him? Have you put his blood on the doorframe of your life? If you haven't, and I can encourage you to do that today, if you're not sure how, talk to me, talk to Mark, talk to Bart when he's back, or talk to another Christian. Nothing more important. Trusting Jesus today. Trusting Jesus today. Not, not 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, perhaps when you first put that blood and you trusted Jesus. But is it today? Trusting Jesus Well, if you have, if you are, and I trust and pray that, that most here are, are living under that blood of Jesus, uh, trusting his word today, uh, then you can know not just the, the joy of, of salvation, but, but you can enjoy the provision of God as we journey toward heaven. This is where we're going to finish. Did you notice that once the blood was put on the doorframe, the, the family were to eat the lamb? You know, the blood was there, then they were to cook the lamb, to eat the lamb, and, and they were told how to do it. Verse 11, uh, this is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. And not so long ago, my, um, my, my grown-up son said to me as he was, he was eating a, a leisurely lunch on his day off in the kitchen, I was sort of rushed in, snatched a quick sandwich, standing up, and, uh, uh, and he, said, uh, he said, Dad, you shouldn't rush your food. 
that meals should be eaten sitting down. Of course, he's sort of like tongue-in-cheek, of course, because uh, he's right, you know, it's better for digestion, it's better for relationships, sit down, eat your meal uh, properly. And, uh, and, of course, that's the lesson I would, should be giving in the other direction, you know, father to son rather than son to father. But, you know, he's fine, he's a, he's a wise chap. Uh, but, of course, sometimes meals have to be eaten in haste, don't they? Like that day that I was eating mine, because you're on the move, things to do, work to be done, stuff to accomplish, somewhere to be. Uh, sometimes we eat meals in a haste, and of course, this Passover meal was one of those. It was the beginning of a journey. Uh, by God's grace, they were, they were rescued from judgment by the blood of the Lamb. And then they were nourished by him for this journey out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And so they ate the Passover meal with that in mind. Cloak on, belt on, tucked in, staff in hand. We're on a journey, we're going somewhere, we're moving forward. And of course, as you continue into the book of Exodus, you're going to see this great journey uh, from Egypt to, uh, uh, to, towards the, the promised land to Sinai and, and, and so on. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper in just a moment, we are principally remembering Christ's death on the cross. Because God never wants us to forget that. The holiness of God and the horror of judgment, the mercy of God and the way of salvation. We remember that at the cross and God says, never forget, don't grow complacent, uh, keep humbling yourself before me. And the reminder that, that the cross reminds us of that, the, the communion will remind us of that. Uh, so we're principally remembering, but not only remembering. As we eat and drink, we're being strengthened by faith for this journey for our walk with Christ. Uh, we're, uh, you, know, you can put your coat back on if you want to say, I'm now, no, you don't have to, but uh, uh, it's a symbol. We're eating, we're moving, we're on a journey, we're heading, of course, towards heaven. It's Advent Sunday. We long for that day, don't we, when Jesus returns, when he's coming back. Uh, we'll see the horror of judgment at the judgment seat. But in Christ, with the blood of the Lamb, we'll rejoice uh, we'll sing in wonder as we meet with our Saviour, become like him, free from sin and suffering, and we'll spend all eternity in his presence. We long for that day when he returns. Uh, uh, and so we're on a journey to that day. So, so as we eat and drink around the table, we, uh, we remember amazing grace of Christ, and we're strengthened and nourished and encouraged uh, to keep going into this day, to this week, to this month, until Christ returns or we meet with him. Let me lead us in a, in a prayer, uh, and then I'm going to hand back to Mark before we sing. Uh, Father, we thank you for your uh, gracious word that you have revealed yourself, your holiness, your justice, your righteousness, your readiness to judge sin and evil. And we pray that these would be realities in our lives that we would know, trust, and believe your word, uncomfortable as that is. And let, Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace that you've revealed yourself in Christ, that he has shed his blood, that we might have forgiveness and life and hope. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would encourage our hearts as we gather around the table in a few moments to be nourished, strengthened uh, for this journey. Help us to keep trusting you, walking with you, until that day we meet with Jesus face to face and become like him.
Lord, do that, we pray, for, your, for, for our good, uh, for our good as a community and as individuals, but Lord, do it above all for the glory of Jesus, that he would be exalted in us. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen.